been looking at Luke's gospel, and as it turns out, there are several passages in Luke's gospel that have to do with, what was the main subject of that today? Money. We talked last week, and then there's a couple more stories about the issue of money, personified by the word mammon. Now, I have to say to you that, okay, I've preached a lot of sermons on a lot of different topics and stories. They're all interesting. But if I had to pick one, if you asked me, Bruce, what is the most interesting, challenging, kind of odd story you've ever read? I think it would be this one. Because if you heard in that text that a dishonest man is being commended, you heard right. Wait, what? A dishonest employee. Okay, I have a theological term for what's going on here. Someone's getting fired. Got it? Because he was mismanaging money. And he's commended. That's what's why Jesus was such a great teacher. Now you've got my attention. What does this mean? And a lot of commentators have tried to smooth this over and say, well, it doesn't really mean... Oh, it does. However, you will see the point, and the contrast. I began to, to try to get into this. I tried to think, what is the most high-profile firing that I've ever read about? Because there are a lot. And I can tell you about one, and this one happened, oh, it's coming up on 20 years ago. And I actually read a book about this. It was called Disney Wars. It was about the Walt Disney Company because Walt Disney started it Mickey Mouse, early on. He passed, and his brother Roy was chairman of the board, I think. And they hired someone named Michael Eisner to be the, uh, I guess, the CEO. And essentially, to make a long story short, he had 10 good years and 10 really bad years. And without getting into it all, the reason he had 10 good years is because he had good people around him who helped contain him and so he didn't make bad decisions. The key person in his life actually passed away, died horribly in a helicopter crash. And then the whole thing just seemed to go off the rails. And I won't get into the whole thing. And... Michael Eisner, he was eventually kind of, there was actually a shareholder's revolt by Roy Disney, and it was kind of ugly. And Eisner did okay, because he, he made $700 million at the company, so he, he wasn't going to be digging ditches for his next job. But I noticed just one of the mistakes, because he didn't always rely on people's advice, because Disney makes movies. Like, they own the Star Wars property now, and they're just going to make billions off this. 
But Michael Eisner, oh, in the 90s, had an opportunity to acquire another movie property. And he just scoffed at it and said, oh, come on, no one's going to watch that. And you know what it was? It was a trilogy. A lot of Christians like it. Have any of you ever heard of Lord of the Rings? Ah, he just dismissed that out of hand. Do any of you know the gross revenue of Lord of the Rings trilogy and all of its properties have made as of now? About $3 billion. So people kind of aren't thinking about that, but in a sense, that's kind of a $3 billion mistake. So things like that. And if you have a pattern of that, you eventually use your, lose your job. Well, this is a story of a manager, kind of a COO, a chief operations officer of an estate, who is getting fired for mismanagement. Now, just to give you some background, most wealth was in land. So there was a landowner who owed, who owned a lot of land, acres and acres, probably hundreds of thousands of acres. And what landowners would do is lease that land out to other people and they would grow their crops on it. So you heard him talking about olive oil, wheat. And this happens today. I actually have a pastor colleague. Well, he's not working as a pastor now, but he and his wife and and you can get rental income. And you see in the story that obviously the renters are paying the landowner with part of what they get, wheat, olive oil. So this rich man, he's making serious money. So he's got a steward who is managing that. And here's what it says. There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to the rich man that this... that. The manager was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you can't be my manager any longer. Now, fortunately, I've never had a conversation like that with a boss. I hope you haven't either. But there was no, and apparently there was just no question about this. It doesn't say how the manager was squandering was squandering his goods. If I had to guess, maybe he wasn't collecting enough rent. Maybe he was skimming money off the top for himself. Something like that. But that's a no-no. You can't do that. So he's basically getting fired. Now, in our day and age, when someone gets laid off or fired, what happens to that person immediately? Clear out your desk, and we may just walk you to your car. In fact, that often happens. 
you're not staying, well, it, some days you might stay to the end of the day, other times you won't. Why? Well, we don't want these fired, disgruntled employees to take trade secrets with them, which could easily happen. So typically, someone that gets fired, in our day, you're, you're gone immediately. We'll walk you to your car, say goodbye to you, and make sure you're not taking CDs of data or anything. Well, that didn't happen here. So the fired manager has a little bit of time. And he thinks, hmm, I'm getting fired. What should I do? And he comes up with a plan. And I want to give you an analogy of what this would be like. He says, as the text goes on, I'm losing my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. In other words, I don't want to go dig ditches, and I don't want to beg for money. I have an idea. Here's what it's like. I'll give you a corporate analogy. I have a friend. haven't seen him in a while. He was a member in a different church where I worked. For, he was a very competent accountant. He uh, was the, uh, the comptroller, a comptroller is the chief financial person at Goldkist, which supplies chicken to various stores, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he did a good job, but just suppose he begins to mismanage money. He doesn't pay enough taxes, so the government brings a huge fine. That would be bad enough. And he's told, you're out of here. He's not ready to retire, and he doesn't want to go work for Georgia Department of Transportation, <laughs> dig ditches. Doesn't want to beg for money, what might he do? Well, what he might do is go to Chick-fil-A or Kentucky Fried Chicken and say, hey, do y'all need an accountant to work for you? <laughs> I've been working for you for a long time, but let me sweeten the deal for you. You currently owe our company $100,000 for chicken you've purchased. How about you just pay $50,000? Goes to Kentucky Fried Chicken. You guys owe us $200,000. How about you just pay us $100,000? They would say, hmm, this guy is pretty loyal to us. Maybe we should think about giving him a job. Does that make sense? This is what anyone would do. That's, that is dishonest because he's cheated. He's already cheated his company, but he's cheating it more to get a new job. But it's taking the relationships you have and saying, hey, I've been scratching your back all these years. I'm going to do it a little bit more. I could use some help. 
thoroughly dishonest, but would you say it's kind of shrewd? Would you say that? Kind of. Yeah, it is. It's what a lot of people would do. It's not ethical, but it's shrewd. We'll use that word. This is what happens in this story is that this is precisely what happens to the man is that he somehow has squandered his bosses, the owner of the land. He squandered, he's wasted money. So do you see what he does? He goes to the creditors and he says, hey, how much do you owe? The creditor says, I owe 100 jugs of olive oil. And he says, take your bill and I'll make it 50. I'll cut your bill in half, save you a lot of money. He goes to the other one, says, how much do you owe? 100 containers of wheat. Take your bill and make it 80. So he's cheating his master yet more to gain favor with the creditors with whom he had a relationship. So if you were his boss, how would you respond? This is with how the master responds. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And just think about that. He's not saying it's right. But what is the landowner saying? I got it candid to you. You were pretty shrewd. Because if you're a rich landowner, you did something to get there. You you know what it's like to run a business. You know what it means to be shrewd. And when you think about People like Bill Gates, who founded Microsoft, or Steve Jobs, who's now passed, but who founded Apple, or Mark Zuckerberg, who founded Facebook. Those companies don't just happen. There's an incredible shrewdness. And shrewdness can be good if it's ethical, or it can be bad if it's not ethical. And there's probably a lot of both in those companies, let's face it. But Jesus makes the point, and listen to this carefully because this is so insightful. The children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are children of light. Here's what he's saying. Is that Christians, followers of Jesus, people of faith, should not be and generally are not shrewd and dishonest like this, right? Or hope we better not be. If you're in business, educate whatever job you have, you work hard, you work smart, but not to the point of being cutthroat, not to the point of trampling people. Did did you hear the Old Testament reading from Amos, a severe judgment on the people? It was about people selling the needy for a pair of shoes. 
using dishonest weights and measures to cheat people. We don't do that. It might be shrewd, but utterly unethical, particularly to deprive the poor like that, for whom the God of Israel and the God of our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ cares very deeply. So Jesus is basically saying, my followers, the children of light, are not shrewd and cutthroat. But the children of this age, there's more of a chance they probably are. Not all, of course. So you take that word shrewd. It's something that we all understand. Is people do what they have to to get ahead, to make a living. They might cut corners, break boundaries, push the envelope cheat people. And at the end of the day, children of this age might say, you know, it's not really right, but I get it. I'd probably do the same thing if it keeps me alive longer and buys me more things. Let's face it. So you got the main idea. It's being shrewd. This was a shrewd and dishonest man. But the punchline is this, and again, it's a little bit difficult, but he says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth. It really means the wealth of this world, so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. Let me just cut to the chase and give you the basic point, is that all of us have been given things as well. The children of this age, non-Christians, and us Christians we have been given things, right? But the overarching point is that God is the one who owns it all. We are stewards and managers of what he has given us. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be shrewd, but in a way that honors God, not cheats other people and exalts yourself. Let me say that again. I want you to be equally wise about what you've been given. And that will take you in a very, very different direction than the dishonesty, the cheating, the lying that could go on. Let me just give you a couple of in implications of this. Some things to understand about what it means to be wise when it comes to dealing with the money, the property that you have. It's all a gift of God. And the first is this. Remember, and this can't be said too much, remember you're not taking it with you. This story is about a man who loses his position because of dishonesty. But the point is, you might live a fully ethical life, but at some point, you're losing it. At some point, your life ends. 
and all that you have will be left to someone else. And it's that eternal perspective. Being wise means I have an eternal perspective on this because if you don't, life becomes about things, doesn't it? I need bigger and better to make me happy. Maybe not everyone, but I want more and more. It can lead to dishonesty, discontent. And Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Nothing wrong with money. It's a gift from God. You need it to live. You need it to buy food, clothing, shelter. But it's an idol that can destroy you. So when Jesus says, be shrewd, be wise, when it comes to mammon or money, remember, it is, it is on temporary lease to you. Let's put it that way. You are managing it on his behalf, which means you remember it belongs to him, and ultimately bring that eternal perspective in one day it's gone. And one way to think about that is during that time when the manager's been fired and he's thinking, oh, I'm going to lose it. What do I do? In a sense, that should always be on your mind is this life isn't forever. How do I best use what I have to be generous, willing to share with what I have? whether it be much or little. And that's really the second thing to think about is it's, it's, it's the whole idea of what you've been given by God. It's an opportunity to invest in things of eternal value. That's hard to understand. It's hard to quantify. But your generosity has an eternal value because it's forwarding the kingdom of God. Paul says, as for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share. Thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. And you're not buying your way into heaven, but what it means is, is that Christ has given you eternal riches and using your 
property, money, wealth for him is being part of an eternal kingdom that lasts far beyond what we can imagine as God restores his creation in Christ. You know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And just think for yourself and pray for itself. What does it mean for you? You're a steward, a manager of however much you have be it much or little, what does it mean to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share? That's being wise, but in a godly way, not in an unethical, shrewd way. But what it ultimately comes down to, and this is the final thing I want to leave you with, is that it ultimately comes down to who you love most. The only way we can really do this is because we understand we're in Christ. It is because we love God more than money. The parable of this unjust manager, this is a picture of someone, and you can't blame him, but this is a picture of someone who's been dishonest, he's getting fired, and it is a scramble for survival, isn't it? It's really what it is. God is saying, I don't want you to <clears throat> live that way. Because your life is in my hand. I give you everything you need. I'll always provide. And out of love for me, you have an opportunity to enrich others with generosity, with spiritual encouragement, with what you have. Whether it's a lot or a little, doesn't matter. Because this was directed in part toward the Pharisees, and do you notice how it said they loved money? They probably thought if we're good people, we're going to get rich. But Jesus said, You love money more than you love God. When you love God, you learn how you use money falls into place as he leads you in how to be generous and willing to share. I'll conclude with this verse from Psalm 73 where the writer says, Who have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. Because if you're in Christ today, all of us were worse than dishonest. But Christ took the penalty for all of that and credited us with the righteousness that we could never earn, no matter how many lifetimes we live. So love God as Christ loved you. Be generous rich in good works, willing to share. Amen.